Well, today it is indeed the husband's turn. And I've had to preach this sermon to myself before I can preach it. I remember speaking with a pastor friend of mine once as I was struggling with an issue. And I knew that for myself, I had personal issues in the very area that I needed to preach on. I knew that I didn't match up. And so I asked him once, I said, is it being a hypocrite to stand up and to preach the truth when you know that you fall short? You know, shouldn't I wait until I get it straight before I'm able to preach it? And he said, no. In some ways, I don't think preachers would ever preach anything if they had to perfectly match up with it before they could preach it. But what he said was, repent, confess your sin, and then preach the truth. And so I repent, confess my sin that I don't always love my wife as I ought to, and then preach the truth. So I preach to myself today as well as to all of you. As we've been looking at the book of Ephesians and we've been looking at the role of husband and wife, there's a key theme there that the relationship between husband and wife reflects the relationship between Christ and his people. Scripturally, another theme that we recognize is that a husband and wife relationship, since it is called a one-flesh relationship, it's a oneness, it's a closeness that's supposed to exist. In many ways, it's supposed to reflect the relationship within the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one God. At the same time, they are three persons. They are unique in this. God is unique in this. So, It's not a direct correlation between a husband and wife. Husband and wife are not literally one in their human essence or in the essence of their beings as God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. But we know that God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in perfect harmony with one another. They're in perfect agreement with one another. They love one another perfectly. And at the same time, interestingly, they have different roles. And the different roles do not imply a superiority or an inferiority. So this is just a note before we begin to look at the role of the husband. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and beginning with verse 2, It says this, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. I've said throughout this study, we're all under authority. We're under the authority of Christ. Men, as you think about your role and responsibility toward your wife, you are under the authority of Christ. Christ is your head. Notice this, the head of woman is man. And we've talked about this. Wives are to submit to their husbands. Because the head of woman is man. And when it's talking about head, it's not talking about this thing that sits on top of our shoulders. It's talking about headship as in roles of authority. The role that is in place there. Leadership. And notice this. And the head of Christ is God. The head of Christ is God. So what do we know from this? In a nutshell, Jesus in his incarnation took upon him human flesh and a human nature and he, as Brother Rick mentioned this morning, came not ceasing to be God, emptying himself of divinity, but he came leaning on, depending upon his father to supply his needs. So he chose not to exercise, for the most part, all of his magnificent powers of divinity, but he came and he lived by faith in God with the Holy Spirit upon him. And does that in any way mean that Jesus Christ is inferior in person to the Father? And no 
way whatsoever. But yet, he submitted himself to his father. He submitted himself to his father. And it was a willing, joyful unity in perfect submission. And so, the example is there for us in the very Godhead of a good relationship between husband and wife. There is a role of leadership and authority that the husband has and a role of helping and of submission that a wife has. But it does not imply spiritual superiority or inferiority. But even Jesus, even Jesus knows what it's like to submit. And he gave us a perfect example in this. Well, as we look at the role of husband now, there are three points that I want to bring out from the scriptures for us. A husband is to be a learner, a lover, and a leader. A learner, a lover, and a leader. I do want to mention right off the top, I'm relying very heavily on an outline from a biblical conference, uh, counseling conference that I, that I went to. Some good material and help with the outline. Learner, lover, and leader. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 3, the husband is to be a learner. 1 Peter chapter 3. And it says here, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them, dwell with your wives, with understanding. I mean, what is the big deal out there that all guys joke about all the time? Well, I just don't understand her. I just don't understand her. Right? Men don't understand women is what is said. But you know what? God commands. This is not an option. For the husband, God commands that the husband live with his wife with understanding. That means he needs to be a learner. He needs to learn things about her. He needs to learn how to love her well. He needs to learn the word so he knows what true love actually looks like and applies that in his relationship to his wife. He needs to learn about his wife in particular and the things that she enjoys in the ways that she feels loved. So the world says you can't understand women. God says that you can. It's a command, even though it may take time. But it is a command that takes study. It takes study. It's been put this way. Give your wife an IOU. Interview your wife in order to understand her well. Ask her questions. Ask her what she likes. Ask her what she's thinking. Interview her. Observe her. I-O-U. Observe her. And then you understand based on your interviewing and your observation. Notice it says, dwell with them with understanding. Giving honor to the wife. Husbands are to honor their wives. It says, as to the weaker vessel. This is a a recognition that generally speaking, as I've mentioned previously, generally speaking, wives are not as physically strong. And there's a responsibility to honor and to protect and to cherish cherish and to, to treasure one's wife. In many ways, in this modern world, in many ways... As a result of modern feminism, feminism has militated against these biblical ideas. And women have said, I can do anything that a man can do, and I don't want you to open the door for me. I don't want you to cherish me and honor me that way. I don't want you to think of me like that. But you know, in many ways, that form of militant feminism is going out the window because it just... It just doesn't work. God's designed for people to love one another, to cherish one another. And the reality is that God's built into the very created order, even things like who is generally physically stronger than the other. And that leads to just a common courtesy and love and respect that is to be carried out. I like the idea that chivalry is not dead. 
and uh, it is still appropriate and helpful to open the door for a lady, even if she scowls at you on the way into Walmart. Of course, Walmart opens automatically, so... (laughs) Wherever you're at, and it doesn't have automatic doors these days. Dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. We're in this together. We're in this together. We're a team. And husbands need to promote that. We are in this together. And God, for a husband and wife who are equally matched spiritually, they're both believers, God is pouring grace into their lives each and every day. He is giving the power, the strength that is needed in order to work together so that they can advance the glory and the kingdom of God. That your prayers may not be hindered. Do you want God to answer your prayers, men? Then you need to understand your wives. You need to honor your wives. If you're not seeking to understand and honor your wives, the implication here is, God's not going to hear you. You can't expect they're going to answer your prayers if you are being churlish, if you're being vulgar towards your wife, if you're being insensitive and unloving and, un- and not understanding, the Lord will resist you until you are humble before him and you seek to love your wife. So, you're to be a learner. There are questions that one can ask one's spouse and sometimes you know you get together on Valentine's Day and have those games where you know you you're supposed to identify certain things about your spouse and vice versa, you know, and we go into those and sometimes we do well, sometimes we don't do as well as we hoped that we would do. But you know, we can uh, consider questions. You know, even even things as simple as so you know, what are your five favorite foods? And hopefully a husband has a, an idea after a while of some of these types of things, right? What about kinds of meals or desserts or restaurants? What about favorite color? What about favorite hobbies and things to do? What about books? Uh, how about books of the Bible? Do you have a favorite book of the Bible? And what about verses? Do you have a verse of the Bible which is your favorite? What about favorite songs? What makes you most fulfilled and happy as a woman, what makes you sad? What are some things that I do that discourage you where I can change and improve on that? What are some things that I've done that have encouraged you? You see, we can go through and we can ask these questions in order to better understand, in order to be a good learner. Well, the scriptures also teach us then, as well as being a learner, that we're to be a lover. That's right. Husbands, we are to love our wives. Now, this is a both and action here. We think of being a lover and you know you think of you think of uh, the roses and the chocolates and the smooth and suave actions, right? And uh, Don Juan and all that good stuff. Well, yeah, husbands need to be lovers in ways that their wives appreciate being loved. But in the biblical sense, love isn't just those type of intimate and highly emotional ways of showing love, but love is action. Love is giving. We're going to look in just a moment from Ephesians. So look over there at Ephesians 5. Consider what it says there to us, our verse for today. Husbands, love your wives. How? Who is the example? Love your wives as Christ. Also love the church. And then what does it say that he did? How did Christ demonstrate his love? Was it a conversation every once in a while with his people? Did he send us a box of chocolates? What does it say? He gave himself for her. What's this speaking about? 
This is speaking about Christ literally laying down his life for his people. You know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only begotten son. What does love do? Love gives. Love gives. Love gives. So as we go on in a moment and we look about we look at the fact that a husband's to be a leader, we're going to see that this leadership is a servant leadership and we're going to look at Jesus and look at the scriptures to see what that looks like. Love gives. It's giving. It's not selfish and taking. Okay? We are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Let's look at some things the scriptures say regarding God's love for his people. Since Jesus is our model, our example, then we can look at things in the Bible that show us how God has loved us, husbands, and we can learn how we ought to love our wives then, modeling ourselves on God's love toward us in Christ, right? So think about this. We are to show love first. We are to show love first. You know, we're not to get in arguments about who's supposed to love whom first. (laughs) We ought to take initiative. And show love. God did that with us, did he not? First John chapter 4 and verse 19 says that we love him because he first loved us. So God has shown his love to us by loving us first. Husbands, it's always your duty to love your wife first. Wives, you're supposed to love your husbands like this too. But we're talking to husbands today. Love your wife first. You're to love your wife The most. Love your wife the most. More than any other human being on the face of the globe, you are to love your wife the most. In our text, Ephesians chapter 5, 25, husbands love your wife just as as also, excuse me, just as Christ also loved, what does it mention here? The church. The church. The reality is this, the Bible teaches very clearly that God loves his people more than he loves other people. The idea that God loves all people equally is absolutely foreign to the scriptures. You cannot support it anywhere in the Bible. Does God have a general love of beneficence, a love or a benevolence, a love of giving toward all human beings? Yes, he does. But does God have a special love for his people, a love that will never be taken away from them? Yes. Yes. Should a husband love his boss more than his wife? (laughs) Well, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? Well, what about the children more than the wife? No. What about his mother or father more than the wife? No. The husband-wife relationship is the closest, most intimate human relationship on the face of the earth. And so husbands are to love their wives the most. Husbands are to love their wives sacrificially. Again, our text, Ephesians 5 and verse 25. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, he sacrificed himself for his church Husbands are to love their wives unmistakably. Look at 1 John chapter 3 and verse 18. I mean, if, if you're saying, yep, I'm doing a good job loving my wife, and somebody goes and asks your wife, and she says, I, no, he's not. You're not doing it. That's all there is to it. It has to be unmistakably the case. Unmistakably. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 18 My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and truth. See, it's unmistakable. It's not just words, right? Not just words, but it's in deed and it's in truth. Following the example of God's love 
toward us, God's people. Husbands are to love their wives in spite of their wives' faults. We're all flawed. Men, we're flawed. We're flawed. And when we look at ourselves from God's perspective, instead of just comparing ourselves with other people who are all swimming around in this sewer together, this place called earth with all the sin and contamination around us, when we look up to God and how perfect God is, we see that we are flawed. And so for us, we recognize that we're married to a sinner. And we're to love in spite of her faults. Romans 5 verse 8 says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. God set his saving love upon us despite our faults. And we're to follow in his example. We are to love our wives even as our own bodies. Love our wives like we love our own bodies. Look at Ephesians 5 there in verse 28. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Guys, you're doing yourself good if you love your wives. Because you're one flesh with her. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. So, do you take time to look after yourself? Do you care about yourself? You ought to love your wives as your own bodies. You ought to love your wives as selfless servants. There is Jesus, the Son of God, the Lord of the universe. And in John chapter 13, what does he do? toward his disciples, disciples like Peter, whom Jesus was always rebuking. Disciples like Thomas, who who doubted. Disciples like James and John, the sons of thunder. You know why they're called the sons of thunder? These are the guys that when they didn't like the way some Samaritans responded to Jesus, they're like, Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven and destroy them? And Jesus rebuked them for it. Sons of thunder. But what does Jesus do toward them? He took up the basin and the towel. He acted the role of a servant there. Only servants would wash the feet of people coming in. You realize they wore sandals in those days. They didn't have socks and sneakers. They had sandals. Their feet would be dirty, stinky, dusty. Some people like feet. Other people like me. Feet are kind of, yeah, I don't like feet very much. But Jesus literally took a towel and a bowl of water and he bent down and he washed their stinky feet to show them what true leaders look like in the kingdom of God. To show them how he was going to serve them. We are to follow in Christ's example as servant leaders. We are to love not based on her performance. Well, yeah, I could love my wife if only she would do A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Well, it's a good thing that God in our salvation is not taking that approach toward us. Praise God. Again, Romans chapter 5 verse 8. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. We need to remember, guys, love is a choice. And if we're making excuses about not being responsible to love our wives, you picked her. I doubt there's anybody here that had an arranged marriage from childhood and they were forced into it and they had absolutely no choice in the matter. You picked her. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6 says, Just as God chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blame without before him in love. God chose the bride for Christ in that sense. He chose his people. It always helps to remember if there are tensions there. Well, you picked her. And you pledged to love her. 
It's to be an intense love. It's to be an unending love. Whenever that marriage is there in existence, it is to be unending. Romans chapter 8 and verse, verses 30 through 39 says of God's love toward us, what can separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. Not tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. There is nothing in this world, underneath this world, above this world, around this world that can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Husbands, you are to love your wives unendingly. Nothing should be able to separate your wife from your love. Nothing. No person. No hobby. No occupation. Nothing. Only God should hold a higher love in your affections. And God says, love your wives. And love your wives more than you love any other human being on the face of the earth. So we have a responsibility, husbands, not to let anything creep in to her place and push her out. We have a responsibility to guard carefully our relationships in the workplace, for instance. We have to be very careful if we're on Facebook and we have old girlfriends not to make those connections and start fanning those old flames. There have been lots of marriages lost to this because people were not on guard. They were not truly loving. They were not honoring and, and guarding. We have to be careful, husbands, if, if we have issues with our spouses that we don't go to people in our workplaces or, fam or um, uh, members of the opposite sex who are perhaps friends and pour ourselves out to them and then perhaps get that emotional support from them. That's how affairs start, right? People go and they start saying, I don't know what to do, you know, she's treating me like this or we're having this hard time at home and then, oh, you poor, poor man, you know what? I sympathize with you, you know, my husband's doing the same thing. And then what happens? An emotional bond is forged that leads to jumping in bed with one another, potentially. But once that emotional bond begins to form, the emotional affair has already taken place. We have to guard ourselves, men, guard ourselves. And if we're nurturing our relationships with our wives, then... The very thought of a relationship with someone not our spouse is abhorrent to us, completely off the radar, not even in the picture, right? If we're focused on Christ and in love with God and recognizing what he's done for us, we're to, to cherish. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Again, husbands ought to love their own wives, verse 28, as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one hated his own flesh, nourishes and cherishes it. So we're to nourish and to cherish our wives. The word nourish means to feed, to feed or provide for physically, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, socially. Feed, provide for. We're to be providers in that Respect, to nourish, to cherish. It means to have a gentle heart and a warm heart towards someone. We're to have warm and gentle hearts toward our wives. And in a parallel passage in Colossians 3.19, it tells husbands, don't become embittered against your wife. Don't be bitter towards your wife. This bitterness is the opposite of this cherishing and this nourishing. So all the things that the Bible teaches about good communication, that you're not to let the sun go down on your wrath, that we've seen in Ephesians chapter 4, and, and you're not to let sinful attitudes such as anger or wrath or malice to build up towards other people, but remembering that we've been forgiven in Christ Jesus, we're to forgive other people, then we are to 
put those things in place so that we don't become bitter against our spouses. That bitterness is that kind of underlying deep-seated discontentment. It's not a, an explosive wrath or anger that burns out quickly. It's like that poison in our bellies. Do you have people that you're bitter towards? And it, you just got you, you have a sour, poisonous feeling all the time when you think of them, when you see them, when you're around them. That's, that's what bitterness is. The Bible says we're not to become bitter. We're not to become bitter. We're to pursue peace. Hebrews chapter 12 says we're to pursue peace with all people and holiness without which we will not see the Lord. God places a high priority on pursuing peace. And then it says not letting any root of bitterness spring up and defile many. Mentioned Esau as one who became bitter against his brother. So, in order to battle against bitterness, we need to be pursuing peace. Pursuing peace. Husbands, if you have a fight or a spat or an argument with your wife and it's led to kind of the cold shoulder, guess whose responsibility it always is? to move toward the other person. It's always yours. I'm going to say this to wives too. Wives, guess whose responsibility it is always to move toward the other person? It's also yours. You know what? Whether you're married or not married, guess whose responsibility it is if you ever have a falling out with someone to move toward them? It's always yours. It doesn't matter if they sinned against you or you sinned against them. Matthew chapter 18 says, if you realize that someone has sinned against you, go to them and work it out. Matthew chapter 5 says, if you realize that you've sinned against someone else, go to them and work it out. And we're to pursue peace. Romans chapter 12 says, as much as is possible and lieth within you, pursue peace with all people. We know sometimes we pursue peace and people don't want peace. We can't make them be peaceful. Be peaceful. Wow. Doesn't <laughs> They might be unconscious and it seems like peace has been accomplished, but no, right? No. But it's always our responsibility. To the men I say, man up. Man up. If you have problems, In your relationship with your wife, man up and take initiative and go to her and humble yourself and love her and work it out. And praise God, he gives us all kinds of wonderful motivations for that and all kinds of instructions how to do that. So I say man up, but then I say, if you need any encouragement with that, you'll have brothers here who will encourage you and teach you how to do this as well. So, husbands are to be learners and to be lovers. And Christ is our example of how he has loved us and given himself to us. Then husbands are also to be leaders. They are to be leaders. Obviously, leadership is not dictatorship. Leadership is not totalitarian leadership is not Hitler it's not Mussolini it's not Stalin it's not Kim Kim Jong-un that is not biblical leadership biblical leadership means taking the lead in serving and caring for the people under your care and authority. That's what biblical leadership is. It's taking the lead in serving, ministering to, caring for the people under your authority. The disciples had it all mixed up. 
in regard to leadership. They saw leadership as those who would be great. They saw leadership as those who could dictate, those who could command, those who would receive glory for themselves. Jesus had to teach them on several different occasions that that is not what godly leadership looks like. That's not what it looks like. Matthew chapter 20 was one such occasion. If you'll turn there with me. Matthew chapter 20, and we see Jesus present an example of his own leadership and what he would do, beginning in verse 17. Now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify, and the third day he will rise again. That's an example of his leadership right there. And then we see this account where James and John, in a parallel passage, says they put their mama up to this. James and John's mama, the sons of thunder, said, Mama, go talk to Jesus and try and get the best places on, the, uh, on each side of him on the throne in the kingdom for us. The sons of thunder. Mama, would you go talk to Jesus for us? Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him. Notice they're not saying it. (laughs) Grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm to be baptized with? They said to him, we are able. They didn't know what they're signing up for. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. They were going to be martyred for him. They were going to suffer for him. At the very least, Um, John may not have finally died due to martyrdom, but history says they uh, tried to kill him by throwing him in boiling oil, and he didn't die. (laughs) But that's a baptism for you right there, right? Getting tossed in boiling oil. Praise God we don't have to do that when we're saved. (laughs) Get the boiling oil, folks! We got a a prospective uh, Christian here. Gonna dunk him. But Jesus is pointing out to them that they were going to have to serve even when it hurt and when people hated them and when they were going to be rejected and despised like he would be. He says, but on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. It is for those whom it is prepared by my father. And notice this, when the the other ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. They got jealous. They're like, oh, they went and talked to Jesus and we think that Jesus, you know, is uh, perhaps going to give them a, a shoe in here, or maybe a, a word to the Father or whatever else regarding this place. They're jealous. But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, over the people under their care. They lord it. Dictatorship. Demand. Control. Manipulation. Power plays. That's the opposite of biblical leadership. Power plays, manipulation, backdoor efforts in order to try and get something accomplished. That's not biblical, godly leadership. And those who are great exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be so among you, says Jesus. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. Husbands, this is an instruction to us. We're to serve. We're to serve. It's not about us. It's not about our reputation. It's not about our fame. It's not about our glory. It's not about our will and our way. And you better submit. And don't you dare embarrass me. Wow, praise God that He doesn't 
reject us if we embarrass him. (laughs) It has been said that the test of your servanthood and whether you're doing this well is when people treat you like a servant. It's when people treat you like a servant. The test of your servanthood is when people treat you like a servant. Now, I'm not saying wives, you know, treat your husbands like your slave. That wouldn't be loving either. But the reality is if everything is going real well and you're in leadership and everybody under you is doing what you want them to do and you're in control, that uh, that's not a real true test of your leadership, the true test will come is when people are very dependent on you and very sometimes testing that or pushing back against that a little bit. Then you'll find out if you have a servant's heart really or if it's just pride and it's just about you, right? So, but think about this again. Christ is our example. He loved His people gave himself to the death, willing to die for, willing to die for his people. Husbands husbands ought to be a a leader also in the sense of being a positive, even pace setter within the home. You know, again, tying all this together that we've looked at, in the very created order, the roles of husband and wife and Husbands, yes, the scriptures teach, are to be providers, are to be protectors. They are to take initiative. Jesus did all of those things. He provided for his people spiritually. He provided for his disciples in so many different ways. He's our protector. And he takes the initiative. We are to take the initiative, men. One of the ways that we can do this is by being a model. By being a model in in our own lives. Being committed to the Lord. Being committed to battle against sin. The scriptures in Colossians says that we're to mortify the deeds of the flesh. That means we're to kill sin. And the sinful deeds that we would be tempted to do. We're to kill it. One theologian paraphrased that by saying, we have to be killing sin or sin will be killing us. We have to be killing sin or sin will be killing us. We need to model in our attitudes and actions. We need to model patience. We need to model self-control. We need to model All of the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit should be alive within us. That gentleness and love and joy and peace and patience and self-control, all of these things. We need to be working toward this, working toward this. And, you know, this is just generally the way the world works. If, If you are a loving, in a biblical sense, loving and peaceful, and self-controlled, and joyful person, then you're a whole lot easier to be around. <laughs> I'm a whole lot easier to be around. And so, so often in relationships between husbands and wives, the husband has all this, and I'm picking on husbands again here, I'm preaching to myself, everything I'm saying, I'm saying to myself, The husbands, perhaps, being grumblers and complainers. And then the wife, that pushes her away. Is that attractive? Is that that attractive? You know, are, are we attracted to people that all they ever do is complain about everything and grumble? It's not attractive. But then the husband has one more thing to grumble about, right? Because now his wife is... Well, what's the reality? The reality is if the husband is finding joy in Christ and identity in Christ and 
and in every situation giving thanks and rejoicing in the Lord always that it's more likely that the wife is going to respond positively to that and want to be around you and want to listen to you if you have ideas for the home and the family and want to fulfill her role in that positive sense within the home. So be a model. Be a model in these areas. And it's a model, a model again of servanthood. Philippians chapter 2, speaking of Jesus. In Philippians chapter 2, it starts off by saying, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any love in the Spirit, if any affections and mercies, so fulfill my joy, the apostle is saying to the people. Make me full of joy by seeing you being of like mind and loving one another and looking after others' needs above your own needs. And then he gives only the perfect example. Let this mind, this thinking be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The Apostle Paul was speaking to a group of people that were at odds with one another in some circumstances, and he's pleading with them. He's pleading with them. He's saying, in essence, since we have consolation through the work that Christ has done, and since we're to be affectionate and merciful toward one another, then don't just be pursued with your own vain glory. Don't just be pursued with your own ends and desires. But think of others more highly than yourself. Focus on other people's needs. If a husband is loving his wife as Christ has loved the church, the husband will be thinking about her needs day in and day out. He'll be thinking about her needs. He'll be seeking to minister to her. He'll be seeking to be a servant to her and blessing her. Husband, some practical ways that this can be done. Uh, One thing is, if you want to be a godly leader, you have to know this. There is no way, no way, no way in this world that you can be a good husband, as God defines it, without knowing this. And taking the lead in living out this in your family. It's not possible. You may have an equitable relationship with your spouse. You may get along and not fight all that much. But you are spiritually weak. And you will not be walking in the ways of the Lord if you don't know this. And you're not living this out in your home. And you're not leading in your home in what God says to do here. One aspect where the the authority of the husband comes in place as the head over the wife is that the husband should be studying this. And if God says, for your family, this is what you must do and this is what you must not do, the husband should be taking the lead in that. And if the wife says, no, I think we should should go ahead and... uh, I think we should go ahead and violate these copyrights and uh, go ahead and copy all these things and pass them out to people even though we don't have a right by law to do so. The husband should take the lead and go to places like Romans 13 and 1 Peter chapter 2 and say, no, God teaches about private property rights and he teaches we're to submit to the authorities. And so, no, for our family, we will not do this. And that's just one of... Millions of examples. No, for us, we will not do this. And whenever a husband can stand on, thus saith the Lord, 
He must stand on thus, saith the Lord. And if the wife says no, I'm sorry, we're not going to do that as a family. The husband doesn't say, oh, mutual submission, and we'll try and find a middle ground. No, in that instance, the husband must say, no, honey, thus saith the Lord. As for me and for my household, we will serve the Lord. Now, obviously, he cannot physically force her to conform to God's will. But he can say, this is the direction we will take. And if it's something involving the children, let's say a wife says, no, honey, we're not going to go to church. And you're not taking the kids to church. He has to say, no, thus saith the Lord. And the children are going to come with me to church. Thus saith the Lord. Because the scriptures say we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So you see what I'm saying. It's not all about husbands. You're the leader. And so I like chocolate ice cream. And that's the only ice cream we're going to have in this house. Right? It's not those, it's not those types of things. Not that dictatorship. But whenever it is thus saith the Lord then it needs to be lovingly, firmly, and it would be far less than loving, would it not, for a husband not to follow the Lord, because you know what will happen? He will be resisted by God. His prayers will be hindered, and his household will suffer. Will suffer. So men, our marching orders, know this book. And know the God of this book. And be in love with it. The Son of God. Who loved us and gave himself for us. And follow his example. Follow his example. For us, husbands, we're to be learners. We're to be lovers. And we're to be leaders. May the Lord bless his word to us. Father, thank you for the example of Christ and for the teaching of your word. I pray for the husbands here. I pray for men who and young men who perhaps one day will be husbands that you will teach us this at the very heart level. I pray that you'll forgive me where I have failed and you'll help me to be a better learner, lover, and leader toward my wife. Pray that you'll help each one of us husbands to do this. We ask now, Father, that you'll bless the food that we partake of today and the rest of the day we have together. In Jesus' name, amen.